僕らが一つ一つの夢を守り抜けるなら泣き空にした約束は百年後も破れないからさ青日夏の青い空首筋の汗と Welcome back to the Taiku Podcast. We are here with Chris. Hello. To talk about、uh, our continuing Kurosawa series.、Uh, this time we were talking about the first movie in the post war Kurosawa set, No Regrets for Our Youth.、Um, <clears throat> so, Chris, do you want to、uh, break down this movie for us?、Uh, I'll try my best.、Um, so, this was Kurosawa's first film.、Um, That went from conception to completion after World War II.、Um, so, unlike the last one where it was basically released right at the end of World War II, this one was completely with the freedom that he had to avoid the, the censorship board so he could tell the story that he wanted to. There was, there was still the American censorship board, but not nearly as strict as the Japanese wartime one. It wasn't, but also,、uh, the content of this film is, was A-OK with the Americans because Kurosawa apparently was a super lefty or, or what was,、uh, called a, a dirty red,、uh, by the Japanese back in this time. So his viewpoints,、uh, aligned more closely to, uh, to America's viewpoints back at that time. Definitely not nowadays. Yeah.、So. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, 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 so him making this movie, it was, it was, he didn't have to worry about the American censors really,、um, cutting up his work or anything because they didn't see that it was harmful in any way.、Mm-hmm. That said, what the movie is about, the movie takes place over the course of,、um, just almost 10 years. It starts with a,、uh, semi-fictional Uh, dramatization of the Kyoto University incident in 1933.、Uh, it's also called the, the, the Takagawa incident. And it comes up,、uh, before the movie comes up and says, this is based off of this incident,、um, but the, the character is sort of fictionalized, right? Right, that's correct. And it's really only like the very beginning that's based off the incident. After, like, it covers that ground within like the first 20 minutes and then forges its own path.、Uh, I don't know how closely it here, adheres to,、um, the true historical accounts of the people that were involved with that incident. Uh, but it basically, it uses that incident as the starting point. Um, so for, so for anyone who's not familiar, much like I was not familiar, The Takagawa incident was, so it was 1933 and basically Japanese fascism was just starting to take hold,、um, in Japan. Much like how now in America fascism is starting to, to take hold. Um, so they're, they're not in a, a full on fascist regime, uh, where if you say anything, you're just going to get gunned down in the streets or anything like that. Uh, but it's starting to take root. So one of a,、uh, a law professor at Kyoto University, he started, you know, providing lectures talking about academic freedom and how,、um, learning, learning is what gives you freedom, not what the government tells you,、um, learning and thinking for yourself. So basically he was, 
targeted down by the government as being a dirty red. Uh, he had to step down, and this led to the the massive onslaught of Kyoto University uh, protests that stormed Japan at the time. Um, I'm pretty sure the protests were everywhere, but the, for the purposes, it focuses on Kyoto University, much like how in America, when you talk about Vietnam War protests, you tend to hear more about Berkeley and Kent State uh, because they were hot spots that, that hit the national news. Very similar idea to uh, this Kyoto University. Um, so the story follows the daughter of the, uh, the law professor, UKA. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's, it's, it's very rooted in the political atmosphere. Kurosawa is obviously trying to talk about the political climate. He, he's, he's trying to, to display what life was like, um, during that political climate. Um, but he does it in a, in a, in a really weird way where you have Yukie, the daughter of the professor, and um, two of her best friends. They're, they're all schoolmates that go to Kyoto University, uh, Noge and Itakawa. That's his name. <laughs> um, and so it, it, it creates like this weird like love triangle between Itakawa, Noge, and Yukie. Um, but it's merely a platform to to show how each of these people dealt with uh, both their, their, their political interests, the political climate, the government, the war, um, how they dealt with this um, through the scope of this weird love triangle. So that, and that's the general idea. I don't want to keep talking because I'll just yeah. talk straight through the so, whole so, movie. But it, it starts in 1933 and goes all the way to the very end of the war in 1945. So just shy of a decade uh, worth of time covered following Yukie, Noge, and Itakawa as they navigate this climate. And it, it, it also it's uh, it's framed kind of like a coming of age story. Um, which is interesting because when you first meet the characters, they're all like 20 or 21 years old going to college. Um, so it, it kind of it doesn't fit the traditional coming of age mold, which always is for reserved for teenagers because that's when people come of age. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but it's very much learning how to understand yourself and be your own person. So it still works as a coming of age story. I mean, there. This is a a way different time, you know. They're they're politically coming of age, and this is, you know, typically the time that you really start, or you could really start getting into uh, being interested in politics and following it closer. And given that this is about to be wartime for not only Japan but the entire world, this makes sense as coming of age, you know, a yeah. second coming of age, perhaps. <laughs> The, the brutal life will freaking destroy yeah. you because life is terrible coming of age. You know, like I came of age in 2008 when Obama was elected, and then eight years later. It's a terrible rebirth by fire. Yeah. Well, it's the world we live in now. Anyway, back to the movie. Back to the movie. <laughs> this is, uh, this is, I feel like, what, what Kurosawa wanted to make, perhaps, with the most beautiful, um, but he obviously couldn't. But now that now that the war is over, this is uh, Unshackled Kurosawa coming out with everything that he had to 
contained within himself, and, like, he was making things, like, the most beautiful in Sanshiro Tsugaku 2, um, which completely, obviously, went against all of his morals, um, but he just wanted to be able to make movies. And, like, he, he was able to make the most beautiful out of uh, making something completely contradictory to what he thought, but this is, this is what Kurosawa should have been making, you know, his entire life. Yeah, and, and with Sancho Sugata too, like that that felt really just kind of like here it is. Um, but the most beautiful, like you could kind of feel that tension yeah. between being forced to make a propaganda film and him trying to make his, his film telling that story. Like you can feel some kind of tension when we when we talked about it in that episode. I'm pretty sure, you know, I mentioned I was like I don't quite get like like because you could kind of interpret it this way, but it's very obviously this. So that's, that's some of the conflict that you, you felt in that movie. But yeah, this definitely lays to rest any question about how he felt about all of that. Yeah. Um, Chris, I was not a fan of the war, but he did what he had to do, which actually, uh, plays into one of the characters, uh, Itakawa, which, um, that's a very conflicting character. And I think that's Kurosawa trying to talk about himself a little bit. Um, so, so to explain the three characters, basically, so Yukie being the daughter of a professor, she lives a very blessed life. Um, she, they actually own like a real house. Like it's not even a traditional Japanese house. Like it's a for real Western style house, two or three stories, um, all the furnishings, banisters and staircases, like all of that stuff. It's, it's not a traditional Japanese style house. It's a very much a Western house. Um, and so she lives in this bask of comfort. She doesn't believe in the, the fascist, uh, path that the country has taken. Um, which we should probably, which we should, we should probably state that the, they, they address this in the movie. So it, it applies to the understanding of the film that, that, where Japan started to turn towards fascism started with the Manchurian incident where Japan inf- um, invaded Ch- <laughs> Manchuria, um, a, a subsection of China, um, and like overthrew the government. And it it's really terrifying. Like it's basically the Iraq fucking war, except we didn't actually say, oh, well, you're going to be a part of America now. Um, it's literally the same thing, though. They, they had a conflict with China. There was increasing tensions, and eventually Japan invaded. And so now they're torn between, you know, oh, Japan is the world's greatest country. We love our country so much. So obviously us invading these dirty Manchurians is a good thing. So either you support us or you're a dirty traitor. Yeah. Should sound familiar to anybody <laughs> listening to this. Um, so so her beliefs, you know, she, she doesn't believe – in the fascism, she she's not right wing, but she is also not left wing. She can she explicitly considers herself a liberal, but not a leftist. Um, which her father is more of a leftist, and um, so her father starts like this uh, like secret club of all these students where they're basically um, plotting the socialist revolution, essentially. Um, so she 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 initially starts off not buying into that uh, that ideology and thinks that everybody's stupid because no, 
what's going on is wrong, but liberalism will win. Um, like, it's really terrifying. Like, this should sound really familiar to people listening to this. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the two boys that is the main uh, interests, uh, no gay, he's like a hardcore leftist. Like, he, he's the, the uh, militarist reactionary. Like, he believes... That we should, that Japan should go full, uh, full socialist, full communist, whatever you want to frame it as, by using, uh, force. He is the go punch Nazis, Nazis guy. Um, get out there and, and actually cre- do, do, do violence if necessary because you need to, you need to save this country that's falling apart. Um, you can't just passively or passively let it go or talk your way out of it. You have to have action. Uh, Itakawa is the opposite. He believes he's all, he also believes in a more far left agenda, but he, it's only him and his mother. He is concerned about money. Um, how are they going to live? How are they going to survive? So he takes, he decides to take a back seat to all of it. He's not going to fight for the revolution. He's not going to fight to against fascism. He's going to protect himself to do what he can to survive. And he's um, he's the one that has the or lives back in like rural Japan, right? Yeah, he he lived. He was the very uh, poor. You know, it's it's like an eight to Tommy house or something. They show yeah. his house at one point, and it's ridiculously tiny. Um, which is actually a good point uh, to talk about real real quick. Kurosawa's really genius um filmmaking techniques here because keep in mind this was 1946 so it probably sounds old hat to people listening that watch a lot of movies um but in 1946 it probably wasn't something the japanese saw at all um there's a scene where you uh you you meet itakawa's mother and it's uh, itakawa and his mom talking and she says why are you going to quit school? You can't quit school. You can't go on this ridiculous crusade to to save Japan. You have to finish school and make money because the money your father left us is almost out and we're just going to die. Yeah. Um, when she says this, the camera moves over um, so that you see Itakawa behind a wall, uh, but it's an, it's an unfinished wall. And so it's, it, it uses a visual metaphor to show Itakawa trapped in a cage, which I thought was really cool. I haven't seen an old Japanese movie that had that kind of cinematography where it used mise-en-scene to uh, project a visual metaphor. So I thought that was really cool to really see Kurosawa jumping forward with his craft to, to try to show things um, in different manners instead of just talking about them. And Ikikawa is also, uh, he, he's also present to contrast with Yukie and her, uh, very lavish and comfortable lifestyle, living as the daughter of a professor. Yeah. Um, compared to him, who is, like, in this rural Japan, they're probably very, like, not just that family, but, like, the entire area is probably struggling. Because, you know, they get their, they would probably get their one payment per year of whatever crop they have and they sell it all off and then they have to live off that for the entire year or whatever Uh, and then they're living in this tiny old house whereas 
uh, UPA is living in this giant mansion. He's playing piano, the, you know, typical ritzy, rich thing. Yep. Thinks that everything's going to turn out fine because it not, it, it most likely will not affect her. Yeah, because everything is fine for her, so everything will be fine for everybody. Yep. Which is the, uh, wool over the eyes. <laughs> It's incredible how the as much as things change, the, the way they stay the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry. So so that that's kind of the the uh, the background, like the the way that they build these three characters, and um, both Itakawa and Noge, they don't really change uh, throughout the film. Um, you you see their uh, you see them develop and, and grow with age as the the decade passes, yeah. um, but their their kind of built mission statement uh, maintains throughout. It's UKA who gets all the uh, all the backlash. Um, <laughs> so basically, I, without going into each individual details, by the end of the movie, UKA. Uh, is not just poor, but basically the worst kind of poverty, living with Noge's parents mm-hmm. and trying to build a rice paddy farm by herself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so she, she goes from the, the bourgeoisie and the, um, status that she is at the beginning of the film to the absolute bottom uh, like, by uh, the end of the film. She goes, she goes to choose this for herself, right? Um yeah, it, it's it, it's cho- it's 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 her own ch- chosen fact. Uh, Itakawa even comes and visits and like, why don't you come back home? Yeah. You know, you can, you'll be okay. Your parents are still okay. Everything's still okay. Come home and and stop living this terrible life. And yeah. she's like, this is the noble life or something. I can't remember the phrasing that she yeah. uses. Uh, it's also like she she loves Noge, right? Uh, and she uh, Noge goes goes to prison for what was ten years or something. Five. Five. Okay. It was, he, a, he it was, was a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, throughout these five years, she kept holding Noge to this uh, probably unrealistic standard of uh, what she thought he was. And when he got out of prison, he had to denounce all of his terrible ideas about liberalism. And uh, But yes, he got out to. Uh, denounce all of the things that he was protesting for in in university. Um, yeah. But he does eventually pass away. Uh, I forget how. He went back to jail. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what. It is. And then he like hung himself or something. I that that's the detail. I can't remember. Okay. Well, he dies in jail after he goes back, and uh, UKA being in love with Noge felt this obligation to help. Well, she actually him. married him though. Oh. So, so they they got married after he after he got out of jail. Um, you know he was living a quote unquote stand up life, but yeah. he was actually like behind the scenes orchestrating all the big revolutions in the country <laughs> through the facade of this really respectable. I think it was an architecture company or something. Yeah. Um, but he got he got found out and got thrown back in jail. Uh, during that time, that was when they they met back together because uh, UKA. Uh, left her family and moved to Tokyo and was working as a typist. Uh, so this was like 1942. So it was like right when uh, America entered uh, the war. Um, and so her and Noge got married and she knew that Noge was doing all these uh, 
quote unquote treasonous things um, in the background. They got married. Everything was awesome. He got arrested. And so now her name was uh, stained with his quote unquote sins. Um, so that that carried with her when she went to uh, stay with his family. Yeah, uh, but she did, uh, she did feel that obligation to stay with the family, which is, you know, the traditional Japanese thing, I believe, even if the husband passes away, he's supposed to stay with the husband's family. Um, I, I can't speak to it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think I may have read that on the Internet. Um, you know, I trust the Internet. Uh, but she does, she does feel obligated uh, beyond any possible societal norm, she feels obligated to stay with Nogate's family and help out with all these things. Um, and there are, of course, moments where she she is overwhelmed by uh, literally everything, physically and emotionally, and is just unable to keep up with any of it. She does uh, she does eventually return to the city and her family, right? But, um, she doesn't. She doesn't feel like she belongs there anymore. Uh, she's integrated completely, or almost completely, with Nogay's family and that lifestyle. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, she 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 went back home. It was it was when the war ended. Um, so once once the war ended, her her dad was going to go back into back into teaching, and. Her and Nogay's family, like they were no longer treated like spies and traitors. Like that was some pretty harsh shit. Yeah. Um, but that, so she went home just like kind of temporarily, is to visit uh, because now everything is kind of okay because um, <laughs> the war ended. Um, but yeah, so she she's like, no, the harder life is the most rewarding life, which which is a a common theme you hear in stories. Um, so I wasn't really too surprised with her choice there, but I think that's kind of uh, the route that Kurosawa was trying to take is to, you know, the, the noble life is the, the hard-earned life or yeah. something like that. And that could be uh, a, somewhat of a reflection of Kurosawa himself having to make these propaganda films and finally being able to make this thing some sort of realization of his dreams. Yeah. So, uh, this is also sort of... Uh, a reflection of Nogay's life in in Yukie now, whereas uh, Nogay went to jail, Yukie went to this rural Japan. They're not comparable at all. But the point is that she went away from her parents' eye for so long, and she goes back, sits at the piano, and says, "Her parents say, oh, you look very comfortable there. You know, this this is just like old times.' She's like, I don't feel like this is where I belong anymore. Yeah, They're, they've They've changed uh, inwardly if they have not changed outwardly. And she definitely changes outwardly. Like she, she, got, she got the, the the rice patties beat her down pretty mercilessly. <laughs> they would probably and, and, down anybody. Yeah, all the respect to those people. My yeah. goodness. But no, I, 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 what did you think about the movie? I thought I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it too. Um, the, uh, I mean, I keep saying, you know, every every subsequent movie is closer to the movies uh, Kurosawa makes that I'm familiar with, which is, uh, I believe, only Ikiru and Seven Samurai. Because yeah. I'm terrible. Um, but, <laughs> the, the ones that are that he's most well known for as well. You know, he's yeah. got a 
like his movies that are considered so great and why he's considered a great director, like they really are fucking great. Um, he's still not there yet, but you can really, you, you can, you can see it, him inching his way towards there. Um, but the distance between the men who tread on tiger's tail to this one, like that's a huge leap. Yep. Um, being free of the propaganda machine and the censorship board, uh, really um, took the shackles off in many, many ways. Yep. This is uh, uh, finally Kurosawa doing what he wants, living the way he wishes. He was perhaps, not perhaps, but he was uh, silenced for what kind of thing he wanted to make, and he did that in complicity to be able to make films at all. Which he has mixed feelings about, and as anyone would have mixed feelings about, but... That was that was what he chose to do, and that's how he got through it. Yeah. Which, good on him. <laughs> we got a few gems out of it, uh, you yeah. know, for historical and entertainment purposes. Now we're here. No regrets for our youth. <laughs> and and one thing I think is interesting is uh, so Kurosawa's always had like a kind of star system, um, but one of the like none of his later movies feature this one actor who has been in literally every movie so far. Uh, he plays Noge in this film. Uh, that's Susumu Fujita, who was Sanshiro Sugata and was had some kind of role in all of these movies. Um, so I think that's really cool. Um, Susumu Fujita, I think he's a really good actor. Um, and I'm actually curious to see uh, what the last film him and Kurosawa made together was. Because he just disappeared. He wasn't in any of Kurosawa's later films, more well-known films. And, uh, and no, keep going. And, and Yukie is uh, played by Setsugo Hara, who um, apparently was really prominent in Ozu's films, who's, a, who's another considered master of Japanese cinema, who maybe will start watching his movies at some point later, because I've never seen a single Ozu film, and I, I own two of the Criterion <laughs> Blu-rays. Uh, I own one Criterion Blu-ray, and I've seen one of one of them. Is is she in that one? I don't know. Is she in Tokyo Story? Uh, yes. I'm clicking on the button now. I'm also looking her up on the video. She is in Tokyo Story. Okay. Also, early summer, late spring, like, and everyone that Criterion has released on Blu-ray, she's in, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, uh... See, late spring, early summer, Tokyo Story, Tokyo Twilight, late autumn, end of summer. She's all over the place, and she was fantastic in this movie. She was. She did. It, it, she really did a, a ter- terrific job of showing the range of emotion in each uh, phase of her life. Yeah. So, so you, you, when when she's just the kind of the spoiled daughter, you know, she's going to have a a fixed range of emotions she does that really well so you can see her as a multiple multi-dimensional character living in that life and then as her personality and circumstances change it's a whole new range of emotions it's not the same character reacting to different circumstances she fundamentally changes as a person and you see that in her uh, portrayal it was really really good uh she is also in uh, The Idiot, so we will be seeing oh. her very soon. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so I'm reading. Did you read anything about this this article on Six Bahara, the Wikipedia article? No, I did not. Uh, so, so she is uh, 
she's actually the uh, basis of Millennium Actress. I knew the name sounded familiar. Yeah. Um, so she was she retired from acting in 1963, which is the year Ozu died. Um, and she she just like in Millennium Actress, she led this secluded life. She didn't uh, she didn't really take interviews or accept uh, photographs. Um, and uh, there is rumors of romantic involvement with Ozu. Um, which goes along with Millennium Actress and uh, the main character from Millennium Actress marrying that director. Um, That's really cool. I knew I'd recognize that name somewhere. Yeah. She is called the Eternal Virgin in Japan because she was never married. <laughs> oh, so of course she never had sex either. Yeah, no. You don't do that before you, <laughs> before you marry. <laughs> yeah, she lived until uh, 95 and she passed away just two years ago. Wow. That's crazy. The more you learn, learning is fun. Yeah. Uh, she said she does not like acting, though. She just did it as a means to make money. You know, I, I do what I do as a means to make money. If I could do what I, if what I did was acting, I think I'd be a lot happier just yeah. to make money that <laughs> way. <laughs> make a lot more money that way. Well, hell, even if it's not more money, just yeah. anything that that is creative and rewarding. This is not rewarding. Uh, My life is terrible. Uh, we are the manifestation of typing in Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyhow. Any, uh, any closing thoughts on No Regrets for Our Youth? We both suggest this as part of the Kurosawa Pantheon. Absolutely. Um, yeah, def I, I, so I actually, my, my thoughts on this go a little bit deeper, too, because I think this is actually a really important film to watch in general. Um, so as you may have noticed, like when I was talking before, the allusions to what is currently happening in America today are really strong. Um, so one of the things that unfortunately happens because we live in a terrible society, when, like growing up, in America, whenever anyone talks about World War II and the the Axis powers, everything is always terrible. You know, uh, Germany was this disgusting Nazi regime, and everybody in Germany were Nazis. They all wanted to kill the Jews, and they wanted to kill everybody else. Same thing in Japan; they were all kamikaze pilots. Like it's this really askew view of of the reality of the situation, the way that American media and American teachings have gone is, you know, okay, Germany and Japan were terrible because of all these things. Um, but there, there's not really, there's not really any stories out there or many stories there, there are, there are some that exist. There's not many stories or many stories that are very prominent, um, in the, the cultural lexicon that, that show that things were not like that, that, that things are relatable um, to how we feel in America in 2017. Um, you know, it, it wasn't this, the armies marching down the streets, murdering anybody who looked at them sideways. So everybody fell in line. It's, it's nothing like that. And, and this movie really portrays that uh, extremely well. Everybody is living a normal life. It doesn't look like they're in the middle of a crazy war. You know, they, they have jobs. They, they dress nice. Um, Itakawa, he's very successful. He's able to, to buy a nice house and all these things. W wandering around the streets of Tokyo, 
Um, a lot of Japanese media that we typically see in America uh, through anime, you know, the more popular things, it, it almost feels like it, it's this portrayal that Japan was always this rural backwoods place, you know, with the, the Bushido code and the samurai and everything. Uh, and then they became industrialized after the war because, of course, America makes everything better. Fuck off. Uh, they, um, you know, they were uh, to some extent, but not to the extent that it is uh, today. Yeah. But but but, but so, so you watch this movie, and you're like, no, they, they had Western style houses. Tokyo was a real city. It wasn't people wandering around with uh, rickshaw carriages or anything. They They had a Western style of clothing. You know, it was... It was re- it was relatable to to how we live in our modern age, and you see them dealing with normal things like they they see the world around them things are terrible but they're not they're not, they're not hiding in corners it's not like the underground railroad during the Civil War or anything, which I think is really important um, for people to be exposed to um, in regards to Germany. Now I'm not like a hundred percent recommending this movie cause it's, it's not a very good movie, but it is a pretty good movie. Um, on the Germany side of things, there is a, a film from the early nineties called swing kids. Um, it takes place in Nazi Germany before the war so that you can see like whatever, whatever ridiculous idea you have in your mind about how things were is not accurate. Um, that that it was a real life thing and maybe incidents of violence were were small they were hidden it wasn't this full out regime that we have implanted in our minds so movies like Swing Kids and No Regrets for Our Youth are really important um, because they show you how life was so that you can sit here and look at around you now and be like well all these crazy people are saying we're living in a pre-fascist state but you know everything looks normal to me i go to work and i'm not getting pulled over and, and grilled for my political affiliation so obviously things aren't bad yeah that's because that's not how it fucking works yeah. it may be how you think it works because you've not been told the full story your whole life growing up you're only told this american reactionary story which is bullshit mm-hmm. um so these kind of movies are really important, especially for today, because how, how else can you reconcile the life that you actually live in terms of the, the, the global uh, the global scale? You know, political turmoil is everywhere, but you look out your window and you don't see it. That doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden in two years we're not going to be in the middle of uh, the full-on fascist regime. You You can't you can't say that, and that's something that this movie does really well. And I'm, I, I was really uh, surprised and appreciative of it, and especially considering that this came out the year after the war ended. Like I could see a lot of people in Japan at that time saying, "Whoa, whoa, too soon, buddy, too soon." <laughs> um, but I think that's better because it's it's it feels this movie feels really grounded in that reality because it was quote unquote too soon. Um, swing kids that I mentioned because it was the early nineties, like that is like, it's like, it's more of a family film. It's not really gritty. It feels slightly fanciful. It's got a really overwrought ending. Like the ending bugs me. (laughs) Um, but, but that's because that film was made from a safe 
a safe point in history. It was made in the 90s. Um, America was not where we are now, but we were far enough away from World War II to where it didn't feel like everybody would call your shit on how you're portraying it. So it's it's from a safe spot in history, but it's still an important story. This is really close to the issue, so you can really feel more uh, more poignantly the uh, points that Kurosawa is trying to make. Yep. The show, as they say, must go on. Yarp. It's not as if uh, industry or anything else stops because an entire war is going on or because we have been in the middle of conflict in the Middle East for however long. Uh, if Japan has been uh, in this uprising of fascism in the in the 30s and 40s, uh, everything else is still moving. Yep. And it's just, I just think it's really important to, to get exposed to that. Yep. Oh, well. I'm sorry, I talked for a really long time on my final thoughts. Yeah, it's okay. Um, that's what we're here for, right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nice betting. We're back. And Corey's with us. Corey, you say hello. Uh, hi. Uh, oh, I, I didn't. I didn't know you were throwing to me. <laughs> hello. Uh, and we're here to talk about uh, specifically Big Wind Up season two. But Corey, you weren't with us for Big Wind Up season one. So before... no. But I, I was a good boy, and uh, while while I was doing yard work, I listened to that part of podcast oh nice so yeah so, so what, what are your thoughts yeah what are your thoughts on the first one. season yeah yeah um <clears throat> you didn't really go into it that much <laughs> a big uh a big part of it was like ah, oh, there's not much to talk about it's baseball uh that's why there's so much to talk about <clears throat> i don't know we can go into it more uh like go into the characters more at least because I mean, yeah, there's not there's not that much to say about the baseball, I guess. I mean, if we were baseball people, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think the characters is where where it's at. Um, so I your, thought who's your favorite character? Uh, Momoet. Who's your favorite <laughs> baseball player? <laughs> Tajima. Uh, not Mihashi because he's terrible. What? He's not terrible. We can get into that when, you know, season two, but, um, something interesting that you didn't touch on when you were talking about the first season, uh, the author, she, um, so you were talking, like, I don't know how the timeline lines up and you're like talking like, I don't know what takes from what, but she grew up reading a manga called Dokabin, which is a baseball manga. Yeah. And then in high school, uh, her, local baseball team inspired her to come up with the idea for this manga and so from there she spent 10 years researching high school baseball before she started writing the manga Mm, it's a lot of years that's 
kind of absurd. And then that last year, she was working at a school called Urawanishi High School, and it's basically uh, it's basically the same school as Nishiura. So you know, on their hats it says UN. That's for Urawanishi. Um, she basically just changed the name of the school. Uh, so yeah, I thought her dedication. I guess it shows because I think she knows her stuff with baseball. Um, Definitely captures the heart of high school Japanese baseball. Yeah, uh, I mean, ten it, years just doing research. That's crazy. It, yeah. Where do you where do you find this group rogue information? On Wikipedia. Yeah, of course. <laughs> what? Where on Wikipedia? That Wikipedia under, page is bars. Under, under development. This little one paragraph. <laughs> I mean, something. Mihashi never spoke. Yeah, maybe that would be better. <laughs> what? No. My God. Uh, You're horrible, Corey. I'm, I'm only hard on myself because he's like me. I don't know. I don't think Mihashi would tell people they should never speak. Mm, um, probably because you couldn't get the words out for it. <laughs> probably. Oh, it's so frustrating when he can't get the words out. It's just like ah, I, I like feel it from both sides. I f- like Mihashi. Like I can relate to him a lot, and then I can also relate with Abe. So it's like it's this weird like dynamic for me where it's like that's me, but then that's also me like. Come on, just fucking say it already, you know? Uh. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, so I think you said in our in our line group something about liking the Tose game. What was uh, what was cool about that? Yeah, it was so good. And okay, I'm, I might have to disappoint everyone, um, but I didn't. I wasn't really into season two. What? And I think part of that. Uh, is because they ultimately failed, but, I mean, understandably. But I felt like there was more, like, care put into the strategy and, like, the tactics of the Tose game than the, uh, uh, I don't know what the other, it's like Bijoji or something. Bijudai Sayama. Bijodai. Sorry. Bijou, French word. That's we got streets here in town called that, so that's just I swear my J's. Sorry, that's okay. I, I'm just you know I gotta work on my pronunciation. <clears throat> I don't know. Like it felt like there was a lot more back and forth. Like uh, it felt more like like oh what's gonna happen next? You know, like I can't wait to see what happens next. You know, and it was always like going forward and going backward, and obviously I knew they were going to win because the second season is called Summer Tournament. <laughs> but it was still, you know, watching that game was just very exhilarating. And I think part of it is also because Mihashi is, like, like super hyper. So he's not, like, doing his usual thing. I mean, there are moments where he, like falters but like it felt like more in line with the drama of the game than like like uh like a staple of his personality plus there's uh like i was like waiting the whole game for tachima to hit that damn ball 
like every time he went up and it's like he's like analyzing how the the shots are coming uh and then finally at the end he hits it and then he like jumps up on first base and he's like so excited like it was it was amazing <laughs> that was a good moment it was a good game i agree there aren't really there aren't really like any of those moments in the second season for me and there's also a villain in the second season, and I just want to, like, punch him in the face. Uh, <laughs> well, when we get into it more, you know, we can get into it. But the the, yeah. the the purpose of the second season was totally different than the first. So it's, yeah, the, it's, 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 it's not, not no strangeness that the way that it deals out the story is going to be different than, you know, a 13-episode single game. Yeah, and I think I'd... Feel better about it if it, the second season was like 26 episodes and then like because here it just like up oh, it just it ends and now they're you know it's seven years later and there's nothing else so it's like uh what really, uh seven years IRL oh right seven years since the anime obviously yeah. they're probably not going to make another one <laughs> okay I, I got confused I was like there was no seven year time jump at the end of this, <laughs> this show what are you talking about there might be someday May, I mean maybe the manga's still going yeah the manga has I mean uh, they they have plenty years. yeah and then season two ends like somewhere in volume 15 so there's like 12-ish volumes of material See, it just comes out so slowly. In another, like, three years, we'll get season three, and it's going to be the last, you know, 15 volumes worth. It'll be good. It could be. This mangaka has a major in sports psychology from Jose University. Interesting. Now she's making manga. That's that's the best way to, to use your, your degree. Just like that's good. But let's, uh, let's really get into this second season. Uh so the second season, like Corey said, just dealt with the the continuation of this tournament. It's literally called Summer Tournament. There is uh, like three three more games in this. Four. Four. Okay. Uh, most of them only take an episode two, uh, with the last one taking about six episodes, right? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Eh, five episodes. All right, five episodes. Uh, but uh, what do you what do y'all think of? This season, uh, Corey seemed lukewarm, but Chris, do you did you like it? Was this uh, good stuff? More big wind up? I did. I re- I actually I actually really liked this. I thought it was a, it was a good change from the thirteen episode Tose game. You know, to kind of have some movement going. Um, but like I was mentioning, that the, the purpose of this arc, this second season, is different um, from the purpose of the first season. So it it was more interesting to show the focus being off of Mihashi trying to get into his comfort zone with a new team and realize that life isn't terrible and that he can function as part of a team. All right, so now let's yeah, so now let's actually focus on the team itself and the way that they interact with each other and you know what their faults are, what they have to grow on. Um, I think each of the games did a really good job of showcasing all these different aspects of the team as a whole, and and it ended the way that it should have ended. You know, we the first season we got the 
the the dream payoff like the underdogs they they win the game against the favorite to take the whole tournament but in all honesty it was kind of a lucky shot so having the luck run out but having more important lessons be learned i thought was really cool um my favorite game unfortunately wasn't the last game it was the second game the third match it took like two or three episodes uh against sakitama they were um they were just they they had a character who was tajima to like the nth degree but he was also incredibly stupid yeah and i thought he was like the best character i was like i want them i want to follow this team instead going forward was that the catcher from the other team or yeah (laughs) he was so funny um but it had just it just had a lot of those really really good moments uh that it was just fun to watch um it it wasn't as exciting or as investing as the first season so you know easily agree with Corey on that one but i thought it was a more satisfying ending like if this was the end of the story you know okay i mean it it felt more well-rounded like this should have actually been one season one it's one continuous story arc um so the characters are still great. The, you know, anime's best mom squad showed up yep. again. <laughs> are these better than the love live moms? Well, yeah, the love live moms are, you know, like novelty. Awesome. Because they show up for like two seconds. These ladies are in, are in, in, in the stands for every game being amazing. Taking the videos, scoping the competition. It was good. Yep. Yep, yep. Uh, but the major, uh, the major event is probably the fact that Abe got hurt, which means I was waiting for that because I was, you know, going <laughs> through the first season to the second season. I'm like, okay, they, Mihashi and Abe, you know, connected. They're there, but there's still this big wall between them. And I'm like, the only way they can fix this is if they separate them because. They're tied together, but they're not tied together like for the right reasons. Uh, so the show needs to break them apart and rebuild them from the ground up. And the show ends before it starts doing that. So, like you were saying, like how they they need to learn some lessons. By the end of it, I don't know if they've learned anything yet. I think they know they need to. So and they, they've identified hope, what they need to work yeah. on. My hope is that, you know, however the story continues, is that they actually do, like, work on this. And it sounds like they will, because it, uh, it sounds like Tajima is going to be the catcher for the newcomers game and the fall tournament, and for Abe part, is not going to return. It, it made it sound like uh, Abe wasn't going to return until the winter tournament. No, uh, the, 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 the autumn tournament starts two weeks after the rookie tournament ends or something like that. And the rookie no, it, uh, new, the newcomer is in two weeks from like when the show ends. Right. So and that's when Abe is like, no, I'll be ready. And then Tajima's like, nah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and then the fall right. tournament was like two weeks after that rookie tournament. So we're talking about yeah, four tournaments. Not going to be, yeah, the rookie tournament's not going to take one week. Uh, <laughs> So he'll he'll be out for like a month or so, just missing the rookie tournament, and so he'll be in the autumn one. Yeah, so we're talking about like four-ish weeks uh, to get to the autumn tournament, and at that point you're at the the early stages of the injury being fully healed. 
But he still shouldn't play even by that point. He could play if his uh, recovery goes quickly. Um, like in a, like in another person. show, like my my fear is that like in another show he would like fucking heal in like two weeks and like he's back. Let's go. And I'm like, nah, that's that's not what I want. Like he needs to stay away so they can so they can actually like think about this. I mean, I think the the issue was, uh, of course, Mihachi being this timid dude that is not going well, it's to both of them. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's also Abe being this abrasive dude that doesn't want uh, the picture to be independent of the catcher. But you know, with Tajima, who works a lot better with Mihachi, they they uh, forged this better better picture catcher relationship of. Uh, talking to each other and figuring out the bagger together. At some point, he became, like, Mihashi's bodyguard, which was funny. Because, <laughs> like, when Hanai, like, takes him, like, aside, uh, and he, like, he's talking to him, like, Tajima comes up later and he's like, oh, you're bullying him! Don't bully him. Oh, he wasn't bullying him. He yeah, was just it's because Tajima is, is incredible. I mean, he is. He's too he's good. Yeah. He's too good. Who has got that incredible bird out their window? Me. Not me. Oh, okay. And the window's open. It's finally under 90 degrees, so the window is open. It's currently 73 degrees. Wow. It is pretty provides, nice out there. Provides atmosphere for the podcast. Yeah. Oh, and the atmosphere we need is that loop on the third theme. Help get us hyped up. Do, do, do. Extra pan. Uh, so, did anyone, so did anyone think it was weird that there's a villain now? villain. I mean, as much as a villain could be a villain, uh, Doka? No, because I don't think he was ever really framed as a villain. He's just, he's an asshole. Which one is that? He's the, he's the coach for, uh, Sayama. Is that their last appointment, uh, opponent? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he, he was, uh, sitting in the stands giving out signs and fucking cheating. Oh, in the stand? He wasn't giving out any signs? Yeah, he was. When? He was just For, sitting there watching them and judging them. They never showed them. it. They never showed it. But at the end, the Tose captain confronts Kurata, which was the catcher. And he's like, yo, like, he was giving you signs. Like, you were cheating. And then Kurata's like, I'll never do it again. I'm sorry. So that was one of the things I thought was really weird. Because throughout that whole game, that dude is like, I'm tired of cheating and playing rough. And I'm like, what have you guys done wrong? How are you playing rough? What did you ever do? Like, because he was these things. The because he was doing rough plays where people would get hurt. So the implication was that in past games, some of the rough plays he did got people hurt and thrown out of the game, or they can't play again because they got. And it, and it was a pretty vague, you know, hint. It's it's like okay, so that happened, but you never got that from his character. Um, at all, and you never got that Roka I mean, was they trying could've... to get him to do that. Like, there was no no, I'm not going to do that. There was... Well, at some just, point he stopped looking up at the stands, so... It was just weird threats it seemed like from himself to himself. I didn't quite get get the point behind all of that. Well, the whole thing is, Adoka, uh I don't know if it really gave the specifics, but like in one of his games where he was like running from third to home, something happened and he lost and now he's bitter 
that he lost, so he's using this new team to, like, fulfill, like, his dream of, like, winning the tournament or whatever. I don't think that's the case. Uh, no, I'm pretty I sure that's it. So I can get this impression that he was cheating at all. I thought that the, the catcher on the field was looking up at the stands to someone who he admired, a former senpai or something, right? Nope. Okay, well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it was, no, because they, no, they no, talk no. about how, like, Kudata's, like, the new guy that's, like, the cheating guy, and there are, like, people before him that Doka used to cheat. And then the whole thing with uh, Kudata at the doctor's office is, like, I'm not going to cheat for you anymore, and... You you know you need you can't have anyone else do it for you either. You like you need to stop this. Like he finally like stood up to him. Right, but there was no cheating that went on, so it seemed really there was weird. cheating because they were giving plays from the stands. You're not allowed to do that. I think you need to rewatch some episodes. Uh, I literally just watched this like a couple so did I. Of so did I. I yeah. <laughs> I finished it at at ten o'clock an hour ago. Like what I what I remember from that is uh, one of the dudes walking up to that one, walking up to the dude in the stands, and being like, "You can't be looking up at the stands. People are going to think you're cheating." And I thought he was just looking up there, being like, "Am I doing it right? Is this the right kind of play?" Like he's no. asking for confirmation since he's a first year to someone who's older than him. No. Yeah, I didn't get the impression that he was giving signs at all. They like, didn't show it, but they, it, it, so if they that's what they said. That's, that's a problem, though. If this is happening at all, you need to give some more indication. I'm not saying they did a good job with it. And, and it's, I, I thought it was weird because he's the freaking coach. What is he doing in the stands in the first damn place? He's, I, he's, he's the coach. Not, he's, he's the coach, but he's there's another coach. Yeah, they, they have the head coach, and then there's the team coach. What the hell is he doing in the stands in the first place? Cheating. <laughs> it was just it, That whole thing was just really weird, and I didn't think it was executed very well. And because, and because it wasn't executed very well, like that Roka guy, he never really came off as like a villain. Like, he's not, you know, Almine, you know, or eagle emperor i dude in kuroko he's not you know this big villain that needs to be defeated it's just like okay there's this guy he's kind of an asshole they didn't they didn't do a good enough job showing that okay he's actually doing illegal things or whatever to make him a villain and i don't know it just it didn't i i didn't get that impression so it obviously wasn't done very well i mean i i have to imagine he'll come up again later because he's brothers with the new catcher for Tose, so... Yeah, so that's how they know each other. Uh, the the catcher, <clears throat> the catcher knows Ryo, and he has that kind of uh, looking up to as a mentor relationship with this assistant coach, which is... which uh, goes with the vibe that I was getting of he's just looking for confirmation uh, or uh, acceptance for his play on the field. No, because there are there are also moments where like he does his rough play or whatever, and people are like, "You need to stop that shit because you're gonna get pulled out of the game." The what rough play gonna... did he do though? That's the thing. I didn't see. Him I don't remember play. what the play was, but like I I didn't see him do anything absolutely wrong. Like for and the right, one he that he does, it. for the one that he does, like it's real quick. I don't remember what it was, but. 
after that, the 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 coach in the dugout was like, "You, you know, I'm gonna take you out of here, and you're gonna be done if you do that again." I thought I didn't think that was a rough play. I thought that was like he he did something at bat wrong. No, that was when he was catching. Is when he did it. So obviously the the opponents in the second season is a very poorly drawn, very <laughs> poorly executed thing. Well, uh, I think so part of it remained on our heroes. Like I, nothing against the the author, but I think part of it is that like the character designs just aren't very. I don't know. They don't feel like unique enough, and I don't know. I maybe that makes them more like human, but like they're they're not as memorable like visually like everyone feels like some sort of like variation besides like some of like Mihashi or like Mizutani with the like orange hair or Abe because he's black hair but a lot of people are like have that like shaved head and like the big eyes and it's just like a variation on that all right so I'm reading the summaries and it could be because this is episode eight and nine where this alleged cheating is happening. Uh, it's, not, it's not alleged. <laughs> <laughs> but the the captain, or I guess former captain now, of uh, Tose walks up to the coach of Bijou and, says, er, and uh, questions these frequent glances up to the stands. So he sits next to him, so he stops making these alleged Right, signs. and then there... And then there's a point where he's like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And then he's gone for like a long time. And I think that was him like just like moving. I don't think he actually went to the bathroom. This is madness. <laughs> because he comes back and he's like, oh, it was a big one. Because he was like, the former captain was like, you were gone a while. Oh, it was a big one. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're, uh-huh. And what was he doing during all that time? Because it sure as hell didn't look like anything cheating-wise or bad was happening in the game. Well, because I think it because he researched uh, Nishioda himself and like did all this research, and so I think it's him telling the catcher like, "All right, you should do this because it'll you know help you win the game or whatever." All right, but there again, we didn't actually see any of this happening. We need to see something happening. Oh, that's not my fault. That's not my fault. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. And I, I and I don't and I wouldn't be quick to say that it might be the author's fault. It might be that could be just yeah, it, the it's adaption. just condensed. You know, it may be that maybe this wasn't intended to be thirteen episodes. Maybe that like the length of manga coverage is the same as what was covered in the first season. They just condensed it so that they could get the the tournament over and have some kind of finality to the anime story. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Without being able to read the manga, we'll never know. Yeah, I have, uh, I have some of the volumes of the manga, but I don't read Japanese. So. <laughs> well, and you don't have any of the later volumes, so... Yeah, you have to get those. Gonna have to go... See, and people probably haven't even scanlated the dang thing for us to... Uh, I think there's some of them, if, you, if you're so inclined. I don't know if it's, like, all of them. It's probably not all. Because when because when I was looking up like where does it end, uh, I there were there were scanlations of some stuff. <sighs> well, someday perhaps we will get the manga. I mean, Kodansha is releasing Ace of Diamond in digital format, so maybe. It looks like it is all the way scanlated. 
Oh, it's been on a hiatus for a long ass time. Really yeah, it's sad. about to. It's like just now, like coming back because she had a second baby. Uh, yeah, according to Baca updates, volume twenty-seven was scanned two hundred and fifty-five days ago. That's wild. Not quite a year, but we're getting close. Let's see, at, uh, volume twenty-five says August twenty-first, twenty fifteen. Well, all right then. Uh, I want a Momoe spinoff. <laughs> I want one where she plays baseball. There is a spinoff. It's called Small Windup. Do what? Yeah, there is no accurate description though to say what the thing is about. It's only four chapters. That's weird. Maybe I just need to watch Princess Nine. Princess Nine is good. Maybe I have those DVDs from Nozomi as well and haven't watched them yet. Oh my goodness, we're going to have to do that after Slam Dunk and Yuhok show. There you go. Uh, what did I like about this season? Uh, you know, what I didn't like was Tajima and Mihashi go out there with Abe's plan. Like, I don't think that was a good idea. Tajima has enough baseball smarts to, uh, you know, basically do this on the fly relatively on the fly at least uh you know you can look through abe's notes and stuff but um trying to stick to that plan was probably more detrimental than just trying to figure it out themselves it it was uh the show shows that by them getting four goddamn runs against them in Uh, that one inning that was also because uh was giving out the signs which was also dumb i i feel like that whole game is like that though and i I can, I've, you know, I found peace, and I, I can concede that, okay, maybe they just got sloppy from all the winning, and they didn't think, like, oh, this team has researched us, uh, you know, the signs thing, the, the pitching pattern, like, all of it. Like, I'm like, uh, okay, maybe, sure. Like, that's not... Then again, you know, I just want them to win because winning's fun. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I can I can concede that sure, you know, whatever they can make mistakes. But yeah, at, it, during the show, it did feel like kind of stupid. But I think something that did make it feel a little better is like for the sign thing, like they noticed like after like half an inning or something, and the other team's like, oh, they're pretty tenacious. They already figured that out. So it wasn't like, oh, they're dumb. They, you know, it took them that long to figure it out. Because if that if that was the response, then it'd be like, ugh. Yeah. It, well, and they figured out that they were heavily researched, and that the uh, the team was changing their patterns for every single batter because they knew how it would work. Like they figured that out after an inning and a half. Too bad they were already four runs behind. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Dolphins didn't yeah. help. Their their cleanup was like. Better than Tajima, so. <laughs> but Tajima's the best. How could how could he be better? Than well, Tajima? I mean, like getting the ball out of the stadium. Yeah, I know. I mean, you don't have to be. Uh, you don't have to be a power hitter to be a cleanup there, you know. You just gotta clean up. That's all you gotta do. Though yeah. so ideally, uh, Hanai would be a little better than he is and be the cleanup hitter, and Tajima would be that first, so he's always on base. They'll get there. 
They'll, they'll get there in the unknown games. What he, he what he should never do is be in the uh, first baseman coach's box. <laughs> because I because if they ever the first podcast. Because <laughs> if they do make a third season. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best though. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I mean, we're sitting here and like, there's a lot to actually really pick apart with this season that you know that they could have done better, both adaptation and story wise. But I, you know, I still really enjoyed watching it, and yeah, I cried during episode twelve because it wasn't just you know spoilers; they lost. They got their asses fucking handed to them, and it was very upsetting. Um, yeah. And and for it to to still, you know, create an emotion, whether you're an easy cry like me or not, the show is doing something right, and it it's with the characters that the show continues to do really really well. That, that's how I felt in the first season too. Is that the characters themselves were the strongest aspect, and I love Mahashi. What is wrong with you, Corey? <laughs> I don't know. It's like looking in a mirror. Uh, this this kind of loss was definitely needed for this team. Um, you got yep. this far through uh, a lot of skill, but also a lot of luck. Um, and especially losing Ame and growing Mihashi's character to uh, being able to be more independent as a picture is super important. And Corey, I know you're uh, complaining about like they didn't actually go in this direction. But the way the season ends is a promise to go in this direction. Like, I don't want to see those first steps yet because they haven't happened yet. And that's not... Like, if I just start seeing the development and then they stop, I would be probably more angry. Yeah. (laughs) Like in Ace of Diamond, where they, like, the highlights reel of them in... In, in, in Nationals during the freaking end credits of the last episode. Do I need to watch... Sorry, what? Do, you, do you want to continue? No. Well, I was just going to say, Orange Hire for you, where they're like, let's go to this training camp, and then we haven't started from them oh, for years. Yeah. Uh, but what were you saying? Or in Spice and Wolf, where they say, we might get murdered trying to escape the city, let's get out of the city, and that's the fucking end of the show. God. Sorry. <laughs> Chris, we're not I had to let it out. Yet. I had to let it out. <laughs> Should I watch season two of Ace of Diamond? Yes. It, it, really? It Are you good. sure? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but the coach isn't there anymore. Watch it. It's that other dude. There. Watch it. No, watch it. Also, yeah, the coach mm, is still there. Afraid to watch it. It's good. It's really good. <laughs> it take it take it, it takes a while for it to pick up, in my opinion. But you yeah, should watch yeah. it. It's. Uh, but you know, baseball <laughs> or long running sports anime, like give it a little lead time. Off focus, off track. Who did we Back to big it was me and me and you and Jared and Kate. I think I was on the. You were on the at first, least yeah, first, you were on the first season. one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you didn't one. watch the second one, I would be more concerned that you were on. The <laughs> I was on one of them. <laughs> the first one was me, all of us, and Jared and Dana. There. Anyway, uh, have we exhausted our big one up talking? Um. I think we may have. It's a short season. Uh, there's not much character stuff going on. Uh, I do like Hot Eyes growth uh, in those earlier episodes um, when Tajima's injured and he has to. Yeah. He has to step up as the cleanup hitter, but it's a lot of pressure for him, and uh, he's not quite ready for it. And Tajima's like just hit the game ball. Yeah. But that grows I mean, as, a, as a hitter and as the captain. 
I look forward to how Hanai. Oh wait, I can't look forward to anything. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, that's the only de- depressing part, you know. You know, I have enough time keeping up on the manga that actually is licensed here that I want to read, let alone going off and digging into 27 volumes of Big Windup. Yeah. Well, the probably the best action is probably like buy all of Kodansha's sports stuff, and then maybe they'll be like, oh, maybe we'll try this. Yeah, Why are you? You're preaching to the choir, brother. Kodansha Japan will push it on him. Uh, I mean, if is, they can do Chihaya Fudu, then yeah. like this should be nothing. Well, well, it's still just digital only, man. Yeah, that's, but I, I mean, that's better than nothing. Is it? Is it though? Like, I pick up my iPad. If I go to, you know, Comixology and drop five dollars on a digital copy, I can drop zero dollars through the illegal apps to read Big Windup. I mean, the, the the intent is better, but it's like I, I still I still read print books. I have enough print books that I read. That that's my thing. Like if I read only digital or whatever, yeah, I would have no qualms. I would have read Big Windup already. <laughs> yeah. I just have a mountain of paper that I'm not getting to. So like I haven't bought the Chihaya Furu digital copies because they're they're digital copies. I haven't bought them either, but that's also because I have all of the Japanese volumes. <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't help us in English, Pori. No, I don't know. I think I'm coming to the realization that I need to. I need to stop buying manga and I need to be more selective because I just, I can't, can't keep up with the pace I was doing financially or like spatially. There's just not enough room. I agree with you. I'm right there next to you. So I've tricked myself. Um, It's working pretty well in that I'm not buying any new manga because I'll just wait and then read it in Japanese when I'm at that level. But then how will we read it in English if you can't help I, us support it? I'm, I'm in the minority. One person isn't going to... I'm the exception. <laughs> like if one person isn't going to help, and then a hundred people say one person isn't going to help, then nothing's ever going to happen. people could have helped. Yes, yes, I know, but statistically, the amount of people... Your vote does matter, Corey. The amount of people that are importing Japanese releases is very small. <sighs> Goodness. Well, we're off top here. Um, any, uh, any closing thoughts on it going up season one or season two? Corey? Um, I... I wish there was more because I I want to see want to see what the author does with the relationships and like because they're also like since a lot of the focus is on the games like there's not like episode by episode there's not a lot of like character development but over the course of the whole show there's getting more and more character development so. Uh, so, cause like at the beginning, cause because of the visual style and that it's not like, like not everyone is a caricature, like an ace of diamond, like it's harder to like remember people, but like by the end of the show, like I know who Mihashi is, Abe is, Tajima is, Hanai, Izumi, Oki, Mizutani, Nishihiro, um, Sakayaguchi, Suyama, like I know all of them now. I forgot Nishihiro until he came out again. But. Well, he he only showed up basically at the very end because yeah. he's a sub. Besides that, I know, uh, yeah, I know all of them as well. Um, so, so I and 
since you you know the author has a degree in sports psychology and she spent 10 years researching this i i want to believe that it's going to go somewhere yeah so hopefully i don't know maybe <laughs> god damn man he's a diamond um if full metal panic can come back anything can come back uh chris those nuts if you were a fan of the first season of Big Wind Up, like the second season, I think is almost essential, you know, because it really finishes the story. Um, and it's a, I'm 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 better off, you know, leaving it here. Like if I didn't see any more, despite wanting more, like Corey wants more, if I didn't get it, like this is a nice, solid story that has a good, you know, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know. Seven years ago, when I first watched the first season of Big Wind Up, um, I was like, well, that was really good, and that's it. Fuck that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was upsetting. Like, this is, this is, this is a really good way to, to finish it off. Weird issues aside with some of the idiosyncrasies of the final game aside. I mean, I'm just really happy Nozomi did finally put it out because mm. oh, no, I'm I lazy. I watched. Yeah, I watched two episodes pirated, and, you know, I just couldn't keep up with it, you know, so I was able to sit down and, okay, let me watch the end of this, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, just like the first season of Big Windup, it's not, it's not a show that's, you know, makes me want to scream to the high heavens, like, this is the best thing ever, everybody should be watching Yoamushi Pedal. Um, but I enjoy it, and it's just a nice, pleasant show, and I think it continues along with that. Uh, it, my overall feelings don't change it at all. It's just more of what I like. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I really love Big Wind Up. It's a bit more uh, inside baseball sometimes than Ace of Diamond even. Um, yeah, because, there were... Because there's not, like, character growth in, in the game as much as Ace of Diamond was sometimes. So it's just, like, straight up you're watching anime baseball. It's still way more exciting than real baseball as a watcher, though. yeah. Yeah, as there far were, as exciting to play, not to big. watch. <laughs> there were some, uh, like you were talking about in the last episode, um, about how, uh, I forget what game it was, but where, um, or what, when it was, but where someone like slides into home base and the implication that the show seemed to make was that Abe had to like hold him off or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so there were like multiple moments throughout the show where I had to like look up rules. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like, because they're like, let's get a shutout, and if we get this many points by this inning, then they'll call it early. I'm like, wait a minute, is that an actual rule? And I'm like a, looking up like it's a Japanese high school baseball rule. Well, I think that's just like a high school baseball rule in general. Yeah, it must be because I was like looking up shutouts. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is like a. This is like an award, kind of like to a pitcher. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Is, uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, that's not in pro baseball, but like when I when I played it in high school and like even in little league and stuff, if you're not a pro, that is a thing. Yeah, that's the mercy okay. rule. It's because you know you're all amateurs. Oh, but speaking of the inside baseball, they need to get a fucking baseball person to edit these scripts because there is so much <laughs> random crap that just did not make sense. Shoot ball. Yeah. Except they call it a screwball, except those are actually different. And they call it a fastball a streak, because that's what they say in Japanese. So that somewhat makes sense, but also you're translating something to English. So I can say the English thing. 
I remember you getting so mad about that on Twitter. It's like, but, you know, well, I think in their defense. Part of the problem with, because some of these are like uh, Doomachi words, and part of the problem is some people look at, do, uh, or not Doomachi, god damn it, katakana words, uh, and some people look at these and all katakana words are loan words from other languages, and so some people look at them and it's close enough to English that they're like, oh, that's just what it means in English, when actually it means something totally different in English. Uh, but here's my issue with that, is if you Google shoot ball, then you right. come I up mean, with the, the, the barrier the, for shoot ball. Right, yeah, there's no, I'm not saying there's an excuse, but like there's this, like, like this false idea that yeah, like, oh, yeah. it's just like the word in English oh, when it's like, it. no, actually it's not. Uh, my most, the most annoying thing was that they, in Japanese, I guess they switched the balls and strikes. So anytime they say uh, a ball strike count, I had to think about it for more than zero seconds, which is the usual amount that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I had that issue a couple of times too. Like the only time it was easy was when they had three balls, because then you could just like default. You're like, okay, I know what they're talking That's about. Number of balls. <laughs> just, there can't be that many strikes. Yeah. I just glazed over when they said those things. I'm like, uh, okay, zero, two, one, two, sure. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, anyway, thanks to uh, Ms. Omi for finally putting us out. Um, but let's close this thing out. Uh, where can we find you all on the internet, Chris? I'm on the Twitters at GoKufi. Um, also, yeah, you can yell at me through the Taiku podcast. Corey gave me the password, so I can reply to you there. Corey also has a password, as well. so... Uh, I don't remember it. Okay. I'll, uh, I have it on LastPass now, I'm sure, with you. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a good place to just yell at everybody, yeah. especially since I, I locked my account just to keep random people away from yelling at me. I also locked my account, but that's just because I'm looking for jobs. Um, Corey, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, at Corey Zone on Twitter, or you can go to my website, Corey.Zone. What is the, what is the chronology of this podcast in the Tai, Taiku podcast lineage? What do you mean? Oh, what episode what is, is this? this? Where does this take place from the other episode? Oh, this, with, this uh, will be Minami. Before. Yeah, this will be the next episode. So this will be okay. episode 40, and then the Minami will be episode 50. I mean, 41. Okay. That's how it works. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I still haven't finished that Bakuon review, which I feel ashamed, but I think I, I think I, I think I don't, I don't know if I don't like writing reviews, but I, I got a lot of other stuff I'm, I'm dealing with and getting better at writing is, I don't, I don't want to deal with that right now, so writing is real hard. Mm-hmm. I don't really like reviews up for a feature. Writing, like picking out a singular thing about uh, yeah. something that I liked and writing about that thing. So I should I should finish that Bakuon review. Well, you got a little while. I'll I'll be releasing that uh, Minami episode on July first. <clears throat> I also need to do guest page. Wait, probably not July first because I will be out of town. Uh, July second. Uh, anyway, you can find me on Twitter at compassionate gay. Uh, I also uh, have two posts on my blog now, akotaco.wordpress.com, I think. 
or WordPress taco. I don't know. I don't know. However that works. What taco? Octo taco. Spell it? A W K O T A K O. He's an awkward oh. taco. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, podcast songs where Taiku Podcast T A I I K U. Uh, we're on Tumblr, Taiku Podcast dot com, dot com. Our website is TaikuPodcast dot com. Thank you all for coming on, talking about big going up. And uh, Chris, what are we what are we talking about? One one girl. Nope. Text the other one. Uh, uh, no regrets for our youth was the, the first part. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> You want to say that again, Corey? Nope. <laughs> Just so you have a clue. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you all for coming on. <laughs> Bye. Yep. Chris Kirby's list of best episode of the year consisting almost entirely of different installments of the show, Flowers of Evil. (laughs) 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 While that might not seem like, while that might seem to be a lot of focus on a single show, quote, the show is all about moments with each episode constructed around a moment. No show had more standout episodes than Flowers of Evil because of this, and they are simply some of the best individual episodes of any show ever. You're damn right. Yeah, I think I think like that, that's what I'm trying to find is the submission list, like because this is basically what ended up happening. Um, but yeah, I think I think I did like four episodes were Flowers of Evil, and then the fifth one was from uh, it had to have been Kyoso Giga, the last episode.